All right, well, uh, the daunting task of tonight of, of introducing Revelation. So I feel like the introduction to Revelation is, is everything. I mean, how you approach the book uh, really does affect uh, pretty much everything about it. Um, so let's pray, and then uh, we'll, see where, we'll see where this goes. Let's see where God takes us. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for uh, this book uh, that John wrote down, the vision that you gave him. Uh, and Lord, we pray that uh, the Holy Spirit that inspired it, the Holy Spirit that revealed it, uh, would help us and would, uh, would speak to us as a church. God, I pray that, uh, as the, as in the words of this book, that, the, that we would have ears to hear. Uh, what the Spirit says to the church. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I think we're going to spend about four weeks in Revelation, and then uh, I think that gets us to Christmas Eve. I could be off by a week or, or so. Um, and then on New Year's Eve, kind of what I'm setting my sights on is to have just a, a service of worship and prayer on New Year's Eve, uh, coming out of Revelation, um, kind of how we wrapped up uh, the Gospel of John, just kind of reading some passages and um, worshiping. I mean, Revelation is a book of worship. Uh, there's more worship in the book of Revelation, I think, than anywhere else in the New Testament. I mean, obviously, Psalms has it wrapped up in the, in the Old Testament. But uh, so many different songs and uh, the scenes in heaven. I mean, we sang uh, about one tonight. Today we join the angels and archangels. That's from Revelation. I mean, we know the soundtrack of heaven because of this book. And so uh, I really want to kind of spend New Year's Eve and spend the, the end of our study of Revelation just in worship. Um, sounds, it sounds awesome to me. So that's kind of where we're heading in between there, I want to introduce tonight and just walk through chapter one. There's a lot in chapter one, and it helps us get off on the right foot in the, in the book. Uh, next week, we're going to talk through the seven churches and uh, just kind of see what's going on there. Uh, look kind of more closely at each uh, church. And then uh, week three is going to be fun because we're going to go through the whole middle section of Revelation, which is where which is where a lot of people just go off the rails. It's where the book itself kind of goes off the rails. And, um, but we're going to talk about the, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls on that, on that third week. And just this kind of uh, cycle of sevens that the book goes through and these visions that John has. And then uh, we'll talk about the, the culmination of, of history at the end of the book that's in about chapter it'll probably be 18 to the end will be our, our fourth week um i think we have time for all of that i might be mistaken uh but this is an awesome season to go through of revelation we're in the season of advent and uh this is a this is a book about advent it's about uh, a, a coming an anticipation of a coming uh and, and of an arrival but it's also a celebration of the first coming of Jesus. And I think that's one thing that we have to say right up front when we get into this book. Um, 
John is very clear, and if you read his other writings, and I'm glad we've read those recently, John is very clear that, that Jesus coming in the flesh, Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus rising from the grave and ascending to the right hand of the Father, changed the, the whole cosmos. I mean, it was an event. It was a cataclysmic event. And it changed the course of human history. It, uh, it changed the course of uh, the history of Israel. Right? It, it was the climax of the promises that God had made to Israel. And so we can't, it sounds strange, but we can't neglect the first coming when we read this book that reminds us of the second coming and, and, and stirs up our anticipation for the second coming. Because Revelation is all about life in between the first and the second coming. That's what it's about. How do we live now? That period of time, by the way, is called the last days. Okay, people will say we're in the last days and there's this sense of imminence, which there's always a sense of imminence, right? We should always, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We should always be ready, right? The gospels urge the people of God to be ready. But the last days is the period of time from the early church until now, all right? And we will be in the last days until Jesus comes and ends this age and ushers in the age to come. And so it is a book about the last days. We are in the last days. Uh, but I would caution you to be wary of people who say that we are in the last days as if, like, this particular moment in history is something unique. Every moment of history is something unique, right? God's doing something in the earth, um, but there are movements, and there have been for the duration of church history, movements that, I mean, Paul addresses the, in, the, in the church of in the Thessalonians. There were people just sitting around, twirling their thumbs and waiting. And he says, well, that's not, that's not the right way to celebrate the first coming and anticipate the second coming. The best way that you can live your life between the first and second coming is to get to work and love each other. Right? He says that in second, and he says, no, the, the day of the Lord is coming, it's imminent, but get off your rear ends and go live in the kingdom of God. All right? And so every generation has struggled with these kind of escapist tendencies to say, all right, well, we're almost to the finish line, so we're just going to kind of just sit around and wait now. Any day, take us, you know. And that's happened in the Christian church. It's happened in some extreme cult contexts. And we have to be careful, right? That's not what an honest reading of Revelation should lead you to do, right? Uh, to just say, all right, and then every headline and you plug it in to Revelation, what does this say? Oh, this is the beast from the sea, you know. Kim Jong-un just fired a missile into the sea. See, it's plain as day. How could that not be a correlation? Well, it's not. Every generation of the church has struggled with error, <laughs> trying to get too specific with this book. Uh, as we'll talk about next week, it is specific. There were seven specific churches, seven specific moments in history, and moments uh, and, and places in uh, Asia that, that John wanted to address and equip them and encourage them for their immediate context, their immediate generation. And he has some things to say to them. But this book also has things to say to us. 
<clears throat> All right, so those are the kind of disclaimers. I, I, you know, if anything, please, I urge you to, and this is, I only say this because this happens so much in the church. I urge you away from anything that purports to plug headlines into Revelation, news headlines in Revelation. All right, this is the Twitter interpretation of Revelation. You can go order books that explain exactly why this particular global crisis is mentioned in the book of Revelation. It's just, it's, it's not, okay, here's what we've got to say about that. You're right. And the last global crisis and all the thousands of global crises before that, they're all mentioned in the book of Revelation. All of them. All right, but the, the, the constant temptation is to make this the unique moment, all right? Okay. We'll get those out of the way. All right, chapter one. The revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, that's the word apocalypse. You know, we, we have this big, scary connotation of the word apocalypse. The apocalypse is just literally the revelation, the revealing, the tearing back of the veil of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. All right, now, I may or may not at some point go through the different approaches to this book. There are, I don't know, four or so different camps, roughly, that people fall into about what the book of Revelation, when these events are are supposed to occur. Uh, I'll probably just send out a little article kind of detailing those, just so you can know, Um, because people will come and make crazy claims about this book. But I think all of those fall a little bit short because they are trying to take what is not strict allegory, and it's not strict literalism, and it's not strict—it's a cosmic vision— and trying to force that into a historical... The whole point is that John needed to be taken out of linear historical time to see something that didn't really play by those rules. All right, And then we take it that, that and we try and force it into a framework. It just doesn't work. Revelation was written exactly the way that it needs to be written. It doesn't need to be interpreted, ter- interpolated. Interpreted. <laughs> It doesn't need to be interpolated. It doesn't need to be forced into a framework. All right? It needs to be taken on its own terms. So this is a revelation. What does it say about itself? It's a revelation. That's what it is. And John uses the best words that he can to describe that revelation. That in itself is a, is a difficult task. Right? He was trying to describe things using the language that he had, that can't really be described with language. But then we take that language and we try and force it into a place that it doesn't want to go. So this is a revelation. And Jesus showed it to John exactly the way that he wanted to show it to him. If he wanted to give him just this 
kind of historical survey, that's what he would have done. But we always have to say about Scripture, it was written the way God wanted it to be written. Right? If he wanted the Psalms to be written in poetry, he wrote, that's, that's why he did that. He wanted the letters to be written. And every kind of literature in the Bible is its own kind of literature. All right, so we can't read this like we read a list of, of like a historical narrative. It's not what it is. It's a revelation. It's an apocalypse. It's not an orderly narrative of the future history of the world. It is a revelation. All right? So we're one word into the book at this point. Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. So even there, you can run up a problem. How soon? And that's where the different camps of interpretation fall on different. How soon? Is this immediately? Is this in the future? Is this kind of spread out through several thousands of years or what? He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. That's a great, I mean, this is John. This is whose writings we've been reading. It says, John was a guy, he bore witness to the word of God. Right? In the beginning was the word. He has a whole gospel. He has a whole book about witnessing to the word of God. To the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So, the, uh, by the way, there's, there's several people mentioned here, but God gives Jesus a vision to show to John, and to show John the vision, Jesus sends an angel to show him. And he says, hey, who are we going we, we to, we need to let the church know some things about what's going on in the heavenly realm. Let's show John. Yeah, I like that. John really gets it on a deep level. Let's show him these things, and he'll write it down, and he'll be faithful, because he's been faithful so far to just bear witness to Jesus. All right? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. All right, so it's called revelation. It's called a prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. All right? This needs to be read. This is not written to be uh, kind of a secret document to seal it up. No. Read this thing out loud. All right? So it's for public consumption. It's not for an elite few, some code crackers to really understand. This is to be read aloud. Read it, and everyone who hears this is going to be blessed. And keep what's written in it. Now, that's really interesting. How do you... He's calling us to read it, to hear it, and to keep it. How do you keep it? How do you keep some of it? How can I keep the seven horns and the ten heads? Right? What, how, does, how do I apply that to my life? He says to keep what's written in it. Um. Well, I'll answer, I, may, I may answer that question here in a little bit. So, it's a revelation, it's a prophecy, and then he says, John, 
to the seven churches that are in Asia. So it's a letter. It's a revelation, it's a prophecy, and it's a letter. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Now, something that you will realize in John is that he just, I mean, he is an encyclopedia of Old Testament imagery, of biblical phrases, and he just, he just piles them together. He just heaps it on. It's like this big Thanksgiving plate of just all kinds of amazing stuff, and he just throws you this big plate. And each verse is like that. And you're like, whoa, there's turkey there, there's mashed potatoes. There's everything, and it's just piled together. And it's so dense, and, and everything's getting into each other. And people try and go and, and figure out, like, all right, what are all the allusions? Let's list all of the times that John refers back to the Old Testament. You, can't, you couldn't possibly do that, because it's like it's all one big ball of, of yarn. But he has a three-fold, he keeps you know, referring to God in this three-personed way. He says, uh, him who is and who was and who is to come, that's, the, that's God the Father. The seven spirits who are before his throne, that's the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a reason that it says seven spirits, and I don't really know what that reason is. But there aren't seven Holy Spirits. There's one Holy Spirit. But John decided to say seven. He likes the number seven, so why not? And from Jesus Christ. Now listen to how he refers to Jesus. And this is important. There's a, re- there's a reason why we're spending so much time in this first chapter, in these first verses. The faithful witness. A witness, that's the, that's the word Martyr. Jesus is the faithful witness. We're going to hear about the martyrs later, the, the, the subsequent witnesses, but he is the faithful witness. The firstborn of the dead. We're going to hear about a lot more who are going to be raised from the dead. But he is the firstborn. So it's like we've started something new with Jesus. He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. And he's the ruler of kings on earth. So every earthly ruler is is now subject to Jesus as well. He doesn't just reign in heaven. He is the king. He is the ruler of kings on earth. That's very important to the way that we read this book. Jesus is. He's not going to be. He is the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. That's Exodus. Right? He delivered us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God. That's Exodus 19. This is the Sinai covenant. He said, if you will walk in, in, these, in, in my law, I will make you a kingdom of priests. And he says he's done that by Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. 
Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. That is, you know, that's A and Z in the Greek alphabet. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. All right, and then we hear from John. I, John, your brother and partner, and I want you, I want you to write these three things down because this is what the book is, this is what this letter is, this book slash letter slash prophecy <laughs> revelation. Your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. That's really what this, what this whole book describes. It describes the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are now that now belong to the people of God in Jesus. All right, what is tribulation? Tribulation is trouble. Tribulation is one of my favorite words. But uh, basically, tribulation is... It's not, it's not just, it's, it's anything. It's the, whole, it's the broadest category you can use of any kind of trouble the people, God, the people of God experience because they live lives out in the earth. Any kind of trouble, all right? Um, John talks about it elsewhere. Uh, John chapter 16. He's talking to his disciples. And he says, um, 16, verse 32, Behold, the hour is coming, and indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now listen to this. He, he, he goes on and he starts to pray. Chapter 17. Go down to verse 11. And I am no longer in the world. He's talking to the Father. But they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Tribulation is what happens when people are reborn and enter eternal life, but live that life out in this place we call the world, amongst the fallenness and the brokenness and the anti-Christ spirit that is around. That is tribulation. The last days are full of tribulation. 
Tribulation is the norm of the Christian experience in the world. Trouble. There are demonic forces. There are, we talked about all these things that come to oppose eternal life when we enter it in, the, in 1 John. That's tribulation. All those things taken together are tribulation. First uh, John chapter three, verse eight. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse thirteen. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. All right. So he says, "I am your brother." and your partner in just the trouble of life. All the trouble. And it gets severe at certain times in history. It, it, it gets very, uh, it's, it's persecution. Right? We read about some of the lies and the blood that was spilled by people because they've remained faithful. That's not everybody's experience. But Paul tells Timothy, all who live, who desire to live godly lives, will be persecuted. There is trouble for everybody. Who wants to live a holy, righteous life in the world? The good thing is that when, when we receive the, the trouble from Jesus, we also receive the kingdom from Jesus. He says, I'm, I'm your partner in the tribulation and the kingdom. And really, it's tribulation because of the kingdom, right? Because we are establishing a new way of life. Because we are laying down our lives and obeying the commands of Jesus, loving one another, the world hates us. But that life is simply an extension of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is wherever his will is done. That's where the kingdom of God is. That's what it is. It is the, as Dallas Willard says, the range of his effective will. It is anywhere where people have submitted themselves to do the will of God. And we belong to that kingdom. We are in that kingdom. Kingdom, tribulation, and they clash. It's oil and water. It's light and darkness. John says it's, it's, you, can't, you can't mingle them. Right? The light has come. and The darkness hated it. And that's how it's going to be. And so, patient endurance. Patient endurance. How do you keep the words of this book? Patiently endure life. Being faithful to Jesus. And now John's going to say, that in this, listen, we've got tribulation, we've got the hatred of the world, and we have the kingdom of God, and you, you mix those two, and it's like, let me show you what it's like. And he says, now come up here. And unimaginable sights, sounds. The scale is staggering. You know, the 10 plagues, you thought the 10 plagues were bad. These are like, we're talking about a third of the earth, you know, wiped out. A third of all plants, gone. You know, that wasn't just in Egypt. This is everywhere. He's like, this is what's happening. 
But it all comes back to the fact that we've been called to live out a different kind of life here in the world. The world hates it, gives us trouble. And we find ourselves in constant (laughs) conflict with that. But John's here to say, hey, I know it. I'm your brother. I'm your partner in this. We're living the same kind of life. And really, it's because we're in Jesus. Right? And he prayed that this would happen. He said, I'm going. I'm leaving this place. They're going to they're gonna have to hang around. And I know what it's going to get. It's going to get bad. But Father, I, I pray, don't take them out of the world. Keep them from the evil one. So Jesus has come to destroy the power of evil. He has left us here and given us participation in that victory so that we can live out, as we talked about in 1 John, the overcoming victory that is the kingdom of God. The gates of hell don't prevail against the church. So John says he's on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God. So here he is. Banished. <laughs> Trouble. Tribulation. I know. You know I'm, I go around, I'm, I'm testifying to the word of God, and it got me sent to the island of Pat, Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. All right, and this is where it all comes from. And this is, so, tribulation, kingdom, patient endurance. Those are the three big takeaways. And then the other one is this, being in the spirit on the Lord's day. Right? That's one way that we patiently endure. We find time. John says it was on the Lord's day. We find time regularly. We just came out of a time like this in our fast. Well, we find time regularly to get out of the trouble, to get in the spirit to set our minds on things above. And we need to do that regularly, right? We need to have times of being in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. John, it just so happened, was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And this is where the whole revelation came from. He says, and then, man, I started hearing things. And then before you know it, I was like, in heaven. He used to come up here. <laughs> hey, let me show you all these things. And I was taking this tour of cosmic forces and battles and wars. But he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he, he got access to things that were real and things that, that explained what was going on, right? What's, what's, when we try, I mean, it's, it's, it's confusing to try and interpret revelation. It's more confusing to interpret what's going on in the world. I mean, that's when you look around and you say, what in the world is happening? And what do we do about it, right? That is difficult, And John was in the spirit on the Lord's day, probably saying, what is going on? We got these emperors. We've got, um, I mean, we've got revivals breaking out. That's great. But man, 
the, the worldly forces are undergoing some crazy, crazy things. I mean, there's people with, that wielding more power than any one human should ever wield. And they are just wreaking havoc. But then the more they do, the church seems to thrive. What's going on? How, what, what, how, do, I, how do I evaluate all this? And so God comes to show him what's up. Well, here's what's going on. He says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And it makes very clear, and this is it's nice, it's a nice entry point into the book, because seven golden lampstands and seven stars, and then before the chapter is over, he says, and the seven lampstands are seven churches. <laughs> he gives us the interpretation right there. He doesn't do that for everything. But he does it right here in chapter 1, which is good. But he sees seven golden lampstands. He sees one like a son of man. This is, this is Daniel, right? This is straight from Daniel. And, but the one like a son of man, and uh, he's described like the, the son of man in, Dan, in Daniel, in Danville. <laughs> um, down there in uh, Danville. Here they got a son of man down there. Um, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. So he's a priest in the, in the midst of lampstands. Well, he's in the temple, right? He's ministering the temple of God. This is the heavenly temple. So he sees the, the son of man. But he also notices that his hair, the hairs of his head are white like wool. And his eyes are like a flame of fire, which is how... Daniel describes the Ancient of Days, to whom the Son of Man is presented. So, what do we have here? This is, they're the same person. The Ancient of Days and the Son of Man are the, are the same person. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. So he says, fear not. So he encounters the risen Jesus in the heavenly temple. It's an amazing thing. Um, And he says, I have something I need to share with these seven churches, and I need you to share it with them for me. Uh, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he sees... Jesus, he sees him in the heavenly temple, uh, the one, the Messiah, the King of Kings. And he says, I have words for uh, these seven particular churches. And so we'll get into the seven churches next week. Um, But I want you to keep in mind, don't make such a, don't make a leap from John's gospel, 1 John we're talking about the same subject matter. All right? The applications of those books, of these books, are all the same. It's just three very different ways of approaching the same subject. Living out eternal life in this world. And the conflict and the complication and the victory that that brings into our lives and the confusion. Right? 
and what it reveals about where we go wrong. Because in each of the seven churches, he says, hey, I see you guys trying to live life. And you guys are letting the world get in a little too much. You need to push it out. You guys are doing great. Keep it up. Right? And that's the application. Right? The application is, is pretty simple. You know, that's why I like the, the, the word that, that uh, Billy shared at the, at the fast last week. What is the application of all this? Well, it's definitely not let your mind just go crazy and sit around trying to figure out what's what in the book. If the book is clear about anything, it's clear about, yes, this matters for right now. We're supposed to keep the words of this book. And that means be faithful uh, witnesses to Jesus. The same application as the gospel, same application as the letter. Uh, I'll end with this. In chapter 12, which is, I've um, shared this before a couple weeks ago. Chapter 12 is right in the middle of the book. Uh, verse 9, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. This is, you know, in, in the gospel, Jesus, in chapter 12, same place in the book. Jesus says, now is the time. Now the ruler of this world is cast out. And they, so uh, the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. He, we're, the, the, each of the churches is called to overcome, overcome. He who overcomes, I will give this reward. He who overcomes, I will give this reward. And here it says very clearly, and here's how you overcome. They have conquered him, conquered the evil one. They have lived a victorious life by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Right? That's, that's straight from John's gospel. Right? Greater love has no one than this than he lay down his life for his friends. Now is the ruler of this world cast down, cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. What is the victory? The victory is when God's people lay down their lives. First for Jesus, and then sent by Jesus for each other. And so, however we read the book, on this crazy journey that it takes us, where we have to end up is laying down our lives before Jesus and for one another. Right? And any other application of the book is not what John intends. He, it's all, this is a book written to the church to equip the church to do the work that Jesus has called the church to do.
We are called to testify to the kingdom of God, to the reign of God on earth, by living it out, by inviting others to live it out. And that life is one of self-sacrifice. And some people will hate that. Some people will love it. Some people will say, thank God, I have been delivered. And they will join in and they will become part of the people of God. But there's tribulation. And Satan is, is very mad about what's going on and what's happened. And uh, so this is, a, this is a book also to equip us for the battle. And uh, to remind us that, yes, we, we, we overcome by laying down our lives. But we also need to understand that we can take a stand on the word of God, on the testimony of God. Uh, and when we do, all of heaven is at our back. Amen? All right, well, um, we're going to come to the table. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, on the night that he was betrayed, and the way that he overcame his accusers and his captors was uh, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And we need, we need regular reminder that this is how we overcome. This is how he overcame. This is how we overcome. And in Jesus, we have trouble, <laughs> trouble in this world. But we've received a kingdom. We've been made into a kingdom. And so we can patiently endure and continue to bear witness to him. Uh, despite everything that's going on, uh, there, is, there are faithful witnesses, and we are part of that faithful uh, cloud of witnesses that's lifting up Jesus and uh, bringing his kingdom to the earth. Amen? All right.